Hey, it's good to be together this morning. Uh, Today begins the Advent season, as you've already seen. We have lit our first candle for the year, and uh, we're excited to be in this season. Today we look at hope. It's an interesting subject for me to be up here uh, sharing with Sarah about, um, because for the past 10 days I've been laying sick in bed. It has not been a hopeful or joyous 10 days. I missed last Sunday, Friendsgiving, my favorite Sunday of the year. Uh, that was tragic. And then I even missed Thanksgiving. Uh, well, all of my family was uh, eating wonderful food, I was laying in a bed with a cough drop. Um, so it has not been uh, traditionally what you'd think of, of a, as, as a hopeful week, right? And yet today we're going to talk about a hope that is not conditional, a hope that does, it does, is not hinged upon the momentary circumstances of life, but a hope that is eternal. So today, we engage the subject of hope. Hope is the first theme of Advent, and so this is the first Sunday of Advent. I'm super curious, if you're, if you're comfortable, just raise your hand if you, celebra- if you practiced Advent growing up. So there's a few of us. But maybe not even quite half of us that have, you know, grown up with Advent. For me, I was not one of them. Advent was new for me, um, that I started learning about Advent just a few years ago. So Advent is a season of waiting for, longing for, um, holding on to the, the expectation of Jesus coming. It's the anticipation of Christmas. And so there's three aspects of the coming of Jesus that we think about and we talk about in when we're talking about Advent. We're talking about the celebration of his birth. So Jesus came. Uh, he was incarnated. He was born as a baby boy. And we also think about Advent in terms of Jesus coming now. The kingdom of God is here, and it's also coming, right? So Jesus is coming now presently in our lives. And also we anticipate the second coming of Jesus when all will be made new, and there'll be no more pain, and no more suffering, and everything will be made new. I love the, this practice of lighting candles as well. There's this image in, in Advent that we're in darkness. And here in the Northern Hemisphere, this is like the darkest time of the year. But we're in darkness, but we're lighting these candles. There's this, this light. Jesus is bringing the light in the darkness. And so we're pretty excited about practicing this season together. In fact, we're so excited that we have a gift for you. It's called, it's a little mason jar. It's called Advent at Home. And they, there's a bunch of them in the lobby. So please, each household, you're welcome to take one on your way out. But um, there's little scripture readings in here and activities to do with your family, with your household to practice Advent. So you're welcome to practice Advent at home with um, your family as well. Thank you, by the way, to Sally and to Elaine and to Sue and a bunch of other people that helped put these together. Absolutely. So in the season of Advent, as we explore the three aspects of Jesus coming, he came, he is coming in his kingdom here and now, and he will come again. We want to go back a little bit and review the story. We're going to look at Jesus uh, coming into the world, one of the gospel accounts of, of Jesus coming into the world and the hope that it brought. But this story is rooted in God's work that had gone on for thousands of years previous to Jesus being born into this world. 
If you're here often, you've heard us talk about the story of Israel and God's covenant relationship with Abraham, but I'm going to do it again because this is so central. Uh, When we go to scripture and we read isolated verses outside of the context of this narrative that is the Bible, we miss so much of the richness, beauty, and message. So I'll remind you as we look at Jesus coming today, uh, the way the story developed. Um, The first... Ten or so chapters of your Bible is the is Israel's precursor story. It has to do with creation and a world that is broken and in desperate need of God's intervention. Uh, the eleventh chapter in your Bible, eleventh or twelfth, uh, God makes twelfth. God makes a covenant with a man named Abraham. He says, "I am going to bless the world through you. I will make you into a great nation, and through your this nation, Israel, I will bless the entire." world world. I'll give you a promised land that you can live in, and the world will come to know me through you, Israel. So Abraham moves to the promised land uh, for a brief time until his family is moved down to Egypt, where they thrive and grow very numerous. Eventually, they're enslaved, and for 400 years, the Israelite people are in slavery. We're just concluding a series, just concluded a series in the life of Moses, and that's a story of God intervening on Israel's behalf, that they would be freed from Egypt, they would exit Egypt, and go to the land that God had promised to Abraham. Now, hundreds of years later, many generations later, God's promises are continuing to come to fruition. And so they move to and take the promised land, and the rest of your Old Testament story has to do with laws and has to do with Israel breaking laws. It's a story of Israel over and over breaking covenant with God, turning to other gods, completely losing the word of God in seasons of their story. Eventually, they're overrun by Babylon. By the time Jesus comes on the stage, by the time Jesus is born, Rome is the ruling power in the world, and Israel is a vassal nation under Rome. How in the world will God's promises come to fruition in this moment in history? Israel's not even its own nation. How will it be this beautiful beacon of light through which God blesses the entire world? And so God steps in to fulfill both sides of covenant. He sends Jesus, an Israelite child, that will redeem not only the nation of Israel, but be a blessing to the whole world as he invites all of us 2,000 years later into the story of God's beautiful, redemptive work in this world. Jesus, who's fully God and fully human, becomes the hope for Israel. And yet that hope for Israel is also our hope, is hope for the whole world. Because we've been adopted into this story, the story of God working through Israel to bless all the world. It wasn't just about Israel. It was for the whole world. And so often you hear us say, we believe in Jesus as the hope for this world, that, that this it, Jesus is what it's all about, that we've also been adopted into this story. And it's a beautiful story um, with a whole lot of generations, too. And so four authors tell the story of Jesus' birth and his life, his crucifixion and his resurrection. They're found the first four books in your, bio, in your New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Today we're going to look at the first chapter of Matthew. And if there's a Bible in front of you and you want to open that up uh, in, in the seat in front of you, uh, feel free to open that up and look at the way Matthew starts his narrative. 
It is the least interesting, most unusual, least sexy way you could start a story. It's just incredible what Matthew chooses to do in this text. Um, one of my favorite books, I was looking this week, thinking about the way Matthew chooses to start his, his narrative, and uh, I was thinking about great opening lines to books, right? And, and, I, and I read a bunch of them online, but I didn't want to recommend a book that I didn't know. Uh, but one of my favorite fantasy stories, favorite books, uh, is, is a book called um, The Name of the Wind, um, by, by Patrick Rothfuss. And it starts like this. It was felling night, and the usual crowd had gathered at the Waystone Inn. Five wasn't much of a crowd, but five was as many as the Waystone ever saw these days, times being what they were. Right? It hints at what is to come. There's some sort of tragedy in the world, right? Even the gathering places are sparse. And yet Matthew starts his narrative, his story of Jesus' life, very different. He starts it with a genealogy. He starts it with a list of names. He was the father of this man, and this man the father of another one. And while it's not terribly intriguing, it doesn't necessarily draw us into a story. It's actually where we're going to spend our time this morning for a couple of reasons. You've probably never heard the first Matthew chapter, the first chapter of Matthew read out loud in a church service, and we're going to do it today because I think it's a really interesting thing to do. Also, because Matthew is cueing us into something incredibly important. Hope broke into this world, in Jesus, hope broke into this world in the most unlikely of ways. As you're talking about this, this idea of it not being very interesting beginning or, or very intriguing beginning, I'm reminded of a story. I grew up in Africa, and my parents were Bible translators, and uh, I remember sitting with another missionary, um, a single lady who was there, and she was reading um, the gospel, and I think it was the gospel of Luke, for the first time to someone. And in, in Matthew starts with the genealogy, and Luke, it's a, it's a couple chapters in. And when she got to the genealogy, um, she said, you know, we can just skip this part. It just tells you the names of, of the people. And, uh, and I remember the woman who was listening to the scripture read for the first time. She said, no, don't skip the genealogy. I need to know about his family. I need to know. And it was, and, and in that culture, lineage and genealogy is super important. And that, as you were talking, I was reminded of, of that. So we are. Um, we, we chose to read this genealogy, and I turned to Micah a couple days ago because I didn't have enough volunteers at that point, and I said, Micah, I might have to actually read it out loud because <laughs> it's a list of a bunch of names, but thankfully we have volunteers, and so I'm going to invite our volunteers to come on up. Um, Mark graciously volunteered to tackle the, the difficult Hebrew names. But what we're going to do is we're going to hear the genealogy. And in between that genealogy, um, at t- we're going to pause about six times, and we're going to hear a little paragraph description of just some of the characters in the genealogy. And what I want to invite us to do as we're, we're talking about Advent and the season of darkness and light, I want you to look for places where, where darkness seems prominent, where, where sin and brokenness and wickedness seems prominent, and look for places where there's light, where God brings about hope in that darkness. 
This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. God called Abraham to leave his home and travel to a land God would show him. God promised to make Abraham into a great nation and bless all people on earth through him. Though he was 75 years old and childless, Abraham chose to believe and follow God. When Abraham was 100 and his wife Sarah was 90 years old, they had a son, Isaac. After years of waiting and longing, hope arose in the most unlikely way. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nishon. Nishon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. She heard the stories of how God parted the waters of the Red Sea for the Israelites and defeated their enemies. She recognized that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is God in heaven and on earth. She saved the lives of the Israelites' spies, which in turn saved the lives of her entire family. For this marginalized Canaanite woman, hope arose in the most unlikely way. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. David grew up as the youngest son and relegated to the lowly position of shepherd boy. Yet, God chose David to rule Israel as king. The Spirit of God was with David, and he was a man after God's own heart. God used David to do much good and promised that one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever. Yet, with power comes the temptation to abuse power. David took Uriah's wife Bathsheba and killed Uriah. This greatly displeased God. When confronted, David cried out to God, Have mercy on me, O God, and create in me a pure heart. God remains faithful even when his people are not. The promised son of David would bring hope where there was none. Hope arose in the most unlikely way. Bathsheba's life changed drastically because of David's choices. She had little to no choice or voice in society. She found herself entangled in a scandal, her first husband murdered, now married to her husband's killer, and her first child dead. Her pain and suffering must have been palpable. She had another son and named him Solomon, meaning peace. God sent a prophet to give Solomon a second name, named Jedidiah, meaning beloved of God. Hope arose in the most unlikely way. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jerome. Jerome, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. After his father's assassination, Josiah became king of Judah at eight years old. He inherited a kingdom where wickedness was prominent and the just ways of Yahweh had been abandoned for violence, idol worship, and human sacrifices. However, Joshua read the book of the law, committed to following Yahweh, and renewed the covenant in the presence of God. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength. Hope arose in the most unlikely way. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, the time of the exile of Babylon. 
After the exile of Babylon, Jeconiah was a father of Sheltiel. Sheltiel was a father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mahatan. Matan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Mary was a young Jewish peasant girl engaged to be married to Joseph. She knew the rules, knew what was expected of her, and knew her lowly place in society. Then the angel appeared, saying the Lord was with her, and Holy Spirit would overshadow her. She would give birth to Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, the Savior who would sit on David's throne forever. Being a pregnant, unwed teenager in the first century was not an easy road to walk, but Mary committed herself to God. She sang, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. Mary gave birth to Jesus, wrapped him in cloth, and placed him in a manger. The shepherds came glorifying and praising God, proclaiming peace on earth. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Hope arose in the most unlikely way. Thus there were fourteen generations in all from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile to Babylon, and fourteen from the exile to the Messiah. Thank you. Let's give them a round of applause for for reading. All right. Hey, good news. You can check that off your list. You have been in a church service where the entire first chapter of Matthew was read out loud. Yeah, the genealogy uh, was read. That's a uh, that's pretty uh, beautiful thing. Thank you, everyone who read for us. Um, Matthew is cueing us into something remarkable. What was your experience like? Of course, we had the genealogy, and then Sarah had written little descriptions of a few of their lives. What was the experience like as you listened to the story of Jesus' lineage? Like, we, we uh, I don't know, I can't speak for all of us. Many of us in Western culture don't think about or speak much about our heritage, don't even know much about people beyond our grandparents or maybe great-grandparents. You see here the number of generations tracked. This was important to Israel. It was important that Matthew share with them who the family was. But what's remarkable to me, what's incredible to me, is the people included in that genealogy. It's not just the beautiful faces in society, the people you'd expect. Yeah, Jesus came from that sort of stock. It's a very ordinary list, and in places, a very broken list of people. Everything from a a prostitute to an eight-year-old king is mentioned in Jesus' genealogy, in the family line leading up to Jesus' birth. I love the mention of women throughout the genealogy as well. That's countercultural and beautiful that Matthew chose to include these people in their names, that their stories be remembered in that way. Hope arose in the most unlikely of ways. Even Jesus coming into this world was incredibly unlikely. The way it would fulfill both ends of covenant, God's beautiful story being played out in Jesus' birth, but so unlikely as well as we look at the lineage, the story that led to this man, Jesus. You know, as I, as I listened to it again, um, 
you see, you see those dark places, right? You see where there's so much suffering and you see where sin has created just brokenness because, the af- because of the aftermath of sin. And yet you also see how God's light shines through and how God uses people and situations and brings about good even though there was such darkness. So you see that light of hope in there. And as we talk about Advent, I love the connection between Advent and the kingdom of God. And this, again, aspect of the past, the present, and the future. Because we're a part of that story. So in Advent, we think about Jesus came. Jesus was born. But also, Jesus is is still present today and coming today, and Jesus will come again, a second coming. And when you think of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is here. God, God has come, Jesus has come and established his kingdom, God reigns, and also God's kingdom is coming because the reign of God within us and around us is coming. It's, it's a choice. God doesn't force it on people. And so people are choosing to be a part of it. And you see God's healing and transformation happening as people are walking with God. And we know that when Jesus comes, the kingdom of God will, 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 will be to its fullest where all is made new, like we sang about today, that, that all is made new. So as followers of Jesus, we are invited to participate in the kingdom of God coming. We're invited to participate in this kingdom that brings about hope, in the receiving of the light of God, this hope for ourselves, but also sharing it and in bringing, God brings about hope, but we get to share that hope with our families and with our friends and with our neighbors and with the whole world. And as followers of Jesus, what kind of hope is it that we live into? Let's start with a little definition. Let's talk a little bit about this hope that we have received, that we are invited to live into. Hope is a a confidence and trust in God whose promises do not fail. Confidence and trust in the promises of a God who does not fail. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 describes it this way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Praise be to God. Because of Jesus Christ, we have been given living hope. This is not a hope that existed. This is not a hopeful thing that happened in the past, but a reality for us here and now, a hope that is active and alive in us and in this world in which we live. This is not a circumstantial hope. It doesn't matter that I'm home sucking on cough drops instead of eating Thanksgiving dinner. I have hope. My hope is not Wavered. My hope is not affected by the circumstances of a moment. This is an eternal hope rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I love that you mentioned that because when we look around the world, we see that it, things aren't perfect. There's so much pain and suffering, and yet there is a God of hope that is working, working to bring about good in this world. Another hopeful 
verse is Romans 15, verse 13. And it's a prayer, and I love, love this prayer. Uh, Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love in this verse that that hope comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, that God brings about hope. And as we follow Jesus, as we commit ourselves to God, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God dwells within us, and and, and God's presence is all around, and the Holy Spirit is is working to bring about hope. So this is Advent, and this year we're going to really focus on Jesus coming into this world, his kingdom coming here and now. We're going to focus on hope, joy, peace, and love. And we're going to look at the ways those are being experienced in the here and now. That God has not set in motion this hopeful thing far off, but instead that we are invited to practice, to live into the eternal hope that we have received. One of the ways we're going to focus on the here and now is to uh, contrast the hope with some of the real tragedy in the world. And each week we'll look at places where love or peace does not exist and we will pray together that hope, joy, peace, and love come into this world in fullness, that his kingdom come and his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So today, in contrast to hope, we want to lament and recognize that poverty, food insecurity, inadequate housing is a problem in our community and a problem throughout the world. Poverty takes on many forms. Uh, The World Bank Organization has studied global poverty for for decades. Uh, They define it as um, hunger or lack of shelter, lack of access to health care or education, lack of representation or freedom, being abandoned or neglected. Poverty exists in uh, great quantities in our community and throughout the world. Uh, the World Food, Food Program estimates that 828 million people go to bed hungry every night in 2022. The United Nations estimated that 1.6 billion people had in, in, inadequate shelter globally, with 15 million forcibly evicted every year. We live in a world experiencing incredible poverty incredible brokenness. And we are people of hope. We are followers of Jesus. We are the continued story of a God that is bringing healing and reconciliation and hope into this world. So we want to pray together for, for hope coming both in our community in the Tri-Cities, but also globally. You'll notice as, as the Harpers, um, led us in lighting the candle, they invited us to say the Lord's Prayer together. And we're going to do that each time we light a candle this Advent, praying together, God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because God's kingdom is one of hope. And and so we're going to be praying that, and we're going to continue to pray that. We invite you to pray for the kingdom of God coming as, as you walk through this Advent with us. What we know as we look at the struggle, the poverty, the pain, as we look at that, what we also know 
is that God is a good God and that God is working, that God sees his creation, that God sees the, our neighbors that are stuck in cycles of poverty, that God sees us when we're one of those people in some way stuck in those cycles of poverty. God sees the suffering and identifies with the hurting and the suffering. And we also know this about God, um, as we as we heard the genealogy and some of the stories, is that God loves to work for good through people. So he loves to use people to bring about his hope, to bring about his healing. And so we recognize as followers of Jesus that we have a part to play. And, and it's our responsibility and it's our opportunity to listen to God and to ask God, what is it that you would have me do in, in my circles, in my community? How do I get to play a part in sharing your hope with my community, with my people? God always asks his people to love with both words and actions. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus loved with words and actions. And one of the things that we've talked about as a church um, many times before is that we can do more when we work together. And so we love to partner with different organizations and help support different organizations that are doing things in our community and globally. For instance, Jamie today was was making coffee and she was wearing an apron that said Grace Kitchen. And Grace Kitchen is one of those organizations locally that is, is helping women come out of poverty. Other organizations include the Gospel Union Mission, and there's multiple here locally that are working to help provide opportunity and bring hope. Uh, More on a global level, organizations like World Relief or World Vision are working to help end poverty. And these are just naming a few. But today, as as we pray for hope coming into this world, I also want to invite us to pray for some of these organizations in in the work that they're doing. So let's pause for a moment and pray together. God, we thank you that you are a God of hope and abundant life. Uh, But God, we acknowledge today that many in our community, uh, many in our world are experiencing poverty and lacking basic necessities. So God, we pray uh, that you will uh, break into this world in the most unlikely of ways, that your hope will be known and experienced in the lives of people in our community and throughout the world experiencing poverty. We pray that you will guide us to be your hands and feet, that we might participate in your good, healing, hopeful work in this world. We pray your kingdom come and your will be done. We ask, God, that you will bless those organizations and people working hard to end hunger and um, provide for those without shelter. Uh, God, we pray for resources and opportunity. Uh, May hope break in to the poverty that this world experiences. God, thank you that you invite us to participate in that hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So together, as we as we start to conclude, we want to t- share communion together. We want to t- to receive and to take communion together. And communion is like the ultimate expression of hope. And uh, that that may seem like, huh? Like you, you may have a little question mark there when you hear that communion. We remember Jesus's death. 
We remember his sacrifice on the cross, his willing and loving sacrifice on the cross. How does his death, how is that an expression of hope? And as you look at the whole story, as, as you, Micah described how Jesus came and he fulfilled both sides of covenant so that we could approach God and receive forgiveness and mercy and grace so that we could have, be in right standing with God. We could be in relationship with God. And so though his death was a very hard thing, it is also an expression of hope. And so in communion, we take the bread, and the bread represents his body broken on the cross, and we drink the juice, and his juice represents his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And as we remember his death in community through this practice, we also remember that that's not the end of the story. Is not the end that three days later Jesus rose again. And as Micah read from first Peter one, his, we are given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We have hope because we know that God will stop at nothing to save us, that God will give will love us wholeheartedly, will love us with, with actions and with words. And so today, as we, we take communion, I want to invite the band back up. Um, I invite us to, to remember Jesus' death as a willing sacrifice for us, a loving sacrifice for us. And I invite us to remember the hope that we have because of what Jesus has done. So while they're playing um, this song at any point, I invite you to go ahead and stand and you're going to take communion either from the center aisle or I set up two tables or we set up two tables um, on, on, on the edges as well. So if you'd like to take communion from there, there's a regular option and there's a gluten-free option. Let's pray. God of hope. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus' loving and willing sacrifice on the cross. We thank you that Jesus conquered sin and death and that in his resurrection offers us living hope and new life. And so, Lord, today we remember Jesus by taking communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to conclude with a benediction for us today. May we trust in God, who is the source of hope, who is the God of hope. May the living hope in Jesus continue to break through in our lives and in the lives of our neighbors and the world. May we see and participate in all the ways God wants to use us to help share his hope in our communities.